Wow. It will never lose its power for me. Thank you, David. That was great. I'm just feeling that uh, sense of, the, of my own life and, and when, when Christ came into it and uh, changed me. And I never want to forget that because his blood will never lose its power. Amen. Hey, let's, let's just take a moment and pray for a pastor and um, pray for uh, Texas right now with that shooting that occurred. Amen. That's becoming just too normal. We want it to be abnormal. We want uh, God to reign in our country and, and change these things. So, Father, we do. We lift, up the, we lift up our nation right now. We lift up our leaders down to the to local areas, to the, the law enforcement that sometimes put their life, often put their life in danger in, in just protecting this. But so many people that don't know you, that need to know you, that are sick in their mind and, and hurting and need a Savior. And we, we pray for change there. And so give us wisdom when it comes to these things. We pray for our pastor, Lord, that you would heal him and, and let him recover quickly from this plastic surgery. We're thankful that the cancer is gone, but we know there's still a process that will go through. And we're thankful for his life and for this church. We're thankful for the veterans that give their lives and have given their lives over the years to make this country free. So bless them, we pray. Uh, bless us now as we open up your word. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, I've always been a car guy. And uh, I think by the time I was 21, I had 21 cars. My father worked in the car industry. And, and I couldn't wait till I was 16 till I could drive and so forth. And it, it's always been a hobby of mine. And uh, when I look at buying a house, I look for how many... Uh, how big the garage is going to be. My wife looks at other things, but I, I'm just concerned about the garage. Are there enough spaces? And if I want to fill them up, if they're not, you know, type of thing. And, and, and to, be, to confess my sin, we just added an addition with a two-car garage to our, to our house because uh, I love cars. And, and probably about five or six years ago, uh, one of my favorite places to go to on the Internet is eBay. And I, I go to the car section, and I see what's for sale and what I can't afford anymore. And I watch the prices go up. And by the way, it is a good investment. They say uh, uh, old cars go up about 8% a year. That's probably much better than your savings account. And, and so, think, so, so I'm justifying my sin here, is I, my, what I'm coveting here. But uh, I, I was looking, and I came across in Brandon on eBay a 85 El Camino. Now, some of you are so young, you never heard of El Camino other than the road, and because you speak Spanish or something like that. But it was a car that wanted to be a truck or a truck that wanted to be a car. I don't know. It was somewhere in there. And you either loved them or you didn't. In 19, I think it was 1959, uh, Chevy came out with one. They took his station wagon and just kind of uh, cut off the back and made it into a pickup. And then they, they made it for a couple years, and then they stopped. And then I think in 1969, they came out again and made them all the way up to 19, 1998. Now, I already had one. I had a 1984 at the time, but I saw this 1985 that the engine was all like the, tweaked out and everything, and it was just nice, and I went out and saw the car, and the guy told me he probably had about $80,000 invested in the vehicle, and I believe it because I know what those parts cost, and he was selling it for less than, uh, only about 20% of that price or, or something along that line, and, and I drove it, and it was fast, and it was loud, they even have a TV show called that, and, and just... Uh, 
looking at it and I'm thinking, well, he's got 80000 and he's only offering it for this much. This is a smart business deal. Plus, I love the car. The emotions are there. And, uh, but at the same time, I'm having, I'm having this uncomfortable feeling. Like God is saying, you don't really need this. But I'm thinking, but, you know, this is such a good deal. And, and, and it looks so good. And I'm going to tell you, I sinned and I bought the car. Probably had it for about two years. Probably put less than 1,000 miles on it and sold it and, and lost a couple thousand on it in, in the process. But it, it just a reminder to me that sometimes God even speaks to us in little things. Maybe that's not a little thing to you, but uh, to me that was a little thing. Even as a Christ follower, uh, and nudging me, say, hey, maybe this is not the best decision for you. And sometimes we can override that by our emotions and even our logic. All right? I'm confessing my sin to you. All right? And, and we go through it. And it was a reminder of me that even in little things, God wants me to listen. Now, let me, let me take you in another situation. About nine years ago, uh, our, our then-president at Southeastern University, Mark Rutland, uh, took a position at Oral Roberts University as a president. And he had been at Southeastern for about nine and a half years, and, and he's really kind of like a change agent. I know he has probably spoken here a number of times, and, and I think he felt an unrest and, and ready for a new challenge. In fact, I remember him telling me, he said, Bill, I'm ready for a new challenge, and I think ORU is the place for me to go at this time. Now, at that time, our, our church, our, our school board, or yeah, Southeastern Board of Trustees, put together a search committee for a new president for the university. And they put two faculty members on that. I was one of those. What was interesting is that we were not allowed, the, the other faculty member and, and I were not allowed to go to the meetings of the committee. Our role, we found out, was just to kind of report what the committee said back to the faculty but we weren't involved in the actual committee work or search for, for a new president. Now, that went on for about two years, right? It's almost like a, a, you know, a government committee type of thing that you go on and you don't do anything. But that's really what kind of happened during that time. And we didn't have a president. And uh, what's happening? I mean, faculty would say to me, what's happening? I said, well, you know, I don't know because they don't allow us to go. It was kind of interesting. And uh, I remember that one of the board members that was not on the committee, I don't think he was at the time, but he, he listened to the community, the Southeastern community, uh, the students, faculty, but also just the community at large, and sensed the unrest, and also the lack of action by the search committee. And he brought it to the board meeting in November, and they dissolved that committee and formed a new committee and decided to put that board member as the chair of that committee. And it was like getting a new sheriff in town. That person was Wayne Blackburn. And I remember him, uh, right after the, the board decided that, he brought in the other faculty member and myself, and we were, we were right back there. I think we were either in his office or in the conference room, and he said to us, he said, we're going to have a president of Southeastern in three months. In fact, he said, it's November. I think we're going to have a president, he said, by December. He said, we're going to have another meeting, and you two faculty members are going to be at that meeting, 
and, and we're going to interview uh, an individual that we kind of heard before, but we kind of dropped the ball on and, and we didn't follow through, and, and another ind- individual that we'll talk about him who's a possible candidate. These two names have come up. And he said, if they don't work, we're going to look for somebody else. We're, we're going to get a president at Southeastern University. You've gone for too long without one. And um, we, did, we did that. We met up in Atlanta, and uh, one of those individuals are, is our current president. And, and what was interesting about uh, Dr. Ingle, who uh, I know has spoken here before, uh, is that when in the interview process, one of the questions that I asked him, I said, Dr. Ingle, what do you see as the vision for Southeastern University? And he gave me an interesting response. He said, he said I'm not going to come in with my vision. I'm going to come in, and I'm going to listen to the constituency at, at Southeastern, and, and we're going to form a vision together. And, and to tell you honestly, when, when, and, and for me, that decided, this is the guy right here. We excused him from the meeting. Uh, the, the board asked the other faculty member and I what our thoughts were, and we said, thumbs up, up to this guy. Uh, we were excused from the meeting, and the, the board voted on it, and they, they voted him in. And then when he came, we went through uh, a year of, of listening to the university. In fact, his word for the year that year was listen. And we put together various focus groups of students, of faculty, of alumni, of community leaders, and said, where do you see Southeastern going? And it was really the first time, I think, in the history of Southeastern University, we went through such a large listening activity. And we came back from that, and we said, you know, here are the things that we heard. This school wants to have a football team. And if you know, we we have one, and we have uh, a stadium and so forth, and we call it Victory Field. Uh, just a thought. And in addition to that, uh, this, this, the school wants to, uh, nursing seems to be a degree that, that, that is needed. Uh, we need to have a doctorate. And all those things have occurred. And by the way, I would say we went at that time when Dr. Ingle came in from 2,400 students to last year we had a, about 72, 7,300. This year we're going we're gonna to go over 8,000. We are growing in fact, the, the Chronicle for Higher Education has named us in the top 10 fastest growing private universities in the country. All right? And uh, when I look back at that, I am thankful for Wayne Blackburn that listened to the community and the unrest because of the inactivity of that, that search committee. I am thankful for a president like Dr. Ingle who listened and continues to listen. And, and I look back and I say, where would we be if these two individuals didn't listen to the people around them, to the context of what was going on, as well as, most importantly, listening to God? And that's what I want to talk about. Why do, why do certain things happen to us sometimes? Maybe certain things happen to us because we're not listening to God and hearing what he's trying to say. There's a passage in Scripture I want to go to, and they're going to show it to you on the screen, in Jeremiah, and I'm going to read from the New International Version, Jeremiah chapter 25, uh, verses uh, 1 to 11. The context is Jeremiah is speaking to the southern kingdom. After King David died, his son Solomon took over all of Israel. When Solomon stepped down, from his position. His son came over and and took the kingdom, but he was counter to the northern kingdom, and it divided at that point. So we had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. 
Israel was now divided. And Jeremiah is speaking to the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had already gone into adultery and had separated from God, and God had allowed the Assyrian nation to come in and take them into captivity and overrun them. And the southern kingdom is still holding out, but at the same time, they're not always listening to God. So look at what Jeremiah 25, 1 to 11 says. It says, the word came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. So Jeremiah the prophet said to all the people of Judah and to those living in Jerusalem, for 23 years, for 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, until this very day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you again and again, but you have not listened. Verse 4, and though, uh, though the Lord has sent all his servants, the prophets, to you again and again, you have not listened or paid any attention. They said, in other words, the prophets said, turn now, each of you, from your evil ways and your evil practices, and you can stay in the land the Lord gave to you and your ancestors forever and ever. Do not follow other gods to serve and worship them. Do not arouse my anger with what your hands have made. In other words, idols. Then I will not harm you. Verse 7, but you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, the idols, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations, and I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. The whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. Why? Because they didn't listen to God. Now, God didn't speak to them once. We, we read that he had spoken to them through Jeremiah and the other prophets for 23 years trying to get their, their attention. But because they did not listen, God was going to allow another country to come in and take over, take some off into captivity like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, back to Babylon and so forth, but others would stay there. And Israel would not be the same. Wouldn't be a time of dancing and singing anymore. There would be sadness. It would be a time of desolate. Now, it's interesting that he says this because then let's jump to Jeremiah 29 and verse 10. It says this. This is what the Lord said. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, all right, after that 70 years, God is saying, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to you back to this place. And then there's a verse that many of you have, maybe it's your memory verse, graduation time, people put it in cards to the graduating seniors. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then... You will call on me. When? After 70 years of desolation. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole 
heart. And isn't it interesting that so many of us know Jeremiah 29, 11, but we don't know Jeremiah 10. We don't know Jeremiah 25, 1 to 11. The context in which Jeremiah 29, 11 is set in. God has plans for us. Plans for us to, to prop, prosper. Plans of hope. Plans for our future. Plans that won't harm us. But sometimes because we don't listen, we can miss those plans or those plans might be delayed in our life. And the Lord forbid that they would be delayed for 70 years. You see, some of the people that went into the captivity never saw the plans that God had for them because they died within that 70-year period. Sometimes we can miss the plans of God simply because we refuse to listen to what God says. Sometimes things can happen to us that God is allowing to happen to us because he wants to get our attention because he has something better for us down the road. But we're not at a place where we listen to him. Verses 7 and 8, But you did not listen to me, declares the Lord. And you have aroused my anger with what your hands have made, and you have brought harm to yourselves. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says, because you have not listened to my words, these things will happen. Nebuchadnezzar, whatever, will come into the situation. It's often difficult to understand the full effect uh, of what will happen in our life when, when we are not listening to God, when we're choosing to go the other way. Who among the people would have guessed that not listening to them would cause them to go into idolatry? Let me, let me tell you, in my devotions, in going through the Old Testament, I've been reading through uh, Kings and Chronicles. Kings focuses on the northern kingdom, and they're not listening, and, and Chronicles focuses mostly on the southern kingdom. And what's interesting, it would tell you a king that rose up and did not follow the ways of David did not follow the Lord. In other words, they didn't listen. And bad things happened. They allowed, you know, idolatry to fall in there, worshiping other gods, crazy things. And then another king would rise up and, and start to listen to things of God and bring Israel back to where they should be. And then another king would rise up, and again, they'd fall into their sin, into their idolatry. It's interesting to see that, simply because certain kings were not listening to God, certain leaders were not listening to God, that a whole nation would suffer in those situations. They were listening to the world instead of God in those situations. It's scary. In fact, I remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, our leadership team at Southeastern University actually has adopted Pastor Blackburn kind of as our pastor to the leadership team. And so every couple of months, we, we meet here on, in the conference room, and, and we, we kind of hear from him, and, and, and he hears what's going on with us and kind of ministers to us. We spend a half a day doing that. And those are precious times. But in that, I, I remember just the last time we met, I, I shared that I was, I was thinking about, it was just kind of drawn to this particular passage of Scripture, and I said, it, it scares me, I, I said to him, that uh, what can happen if, when we don't listen to God? And, and you know what his words were to me? It should scare you. Right? It should. It should scare all of us here. Uh, what happens when we don't listen to what God is saying, when we're not paying attention, when we're so caught up with the things of life and the things of this world that we want to do our own thing, we want to buy our El Camino, we don't care what God thinks. 
I mean, what, what difference does that make? I really think that was just a little test in my life to say, Bill, are you listening to me? Even in these things, even in the everyday affairs of life, are you acknowledging me in that situation? So I think they're going to put on the screen there a, a couple definitions of what listening is. One, listening is a posture, a posture of attentiveness. In other words, if you're talking to me, I ought to kind of face you. If you're talking to me and I'm kind of looking over here and, and looking at my watch and I start to pull out my cell phone and, and I'm checking my... I'm not listening to you. I don't have a posture of attentiveness in that situation. It's the same frustration I feel as a, as a faculty member at Southeastern when I'm teaching my class and somebody in the, in the back is, is, is just going like this. I don't think they're writing notes on me. I think they're just like texting. They don't have a posture of attentiveness. And so the thoughts are always there. Oh, I'll get them in the final exam. All right? All right? So sometimes you say, hey, this will be on the final exam, and maybe they'll stop and listen to you at that point. I don't know if God does that, but I think he does do that because he sends prophets at times to say, are you listening to me? Are we hearing from God? So listening is a posture of attentiveness which acknowledges the presence of another. Do we posture ourselves in attentiveness to God? And do we do that on a daily basis? A second definition is up there. Listening is an exercise in interdependence and communicates that one has a teachable spirit. I need you and you need me. We need to listen to one another. That works really well, by the way, in a marriage. Right? When we listen to one another, some of you husbands just got an elbow, okay? It really works well in a marriage when we listen and we're interdependent on one another. And it works really well in our relationship with God. Do we place ourselves in a place where, where not only do we share our needs with God, but we listen to Him? He has chosen to work through the church and to work through us, but He also seeks us to relate to him as well and, and to realize that ultimately we need him in all that we do. What is not listening? Not listening is a posture of arrogance. I don't need you. I ignore the contribution of another. I'm smarter than that. And so when a student is there texting or something like that or sleeping in my class, to me there's like, oh, this is not important to you? Or you're paying money. Well, maybe mom and dad are. Somebody's paying for this. I wonder if the student was directly paying for it. Maybe they would pay a little bit more attention. I get off on my soapbox. I'm sorry. I'm a professor. I do that once in a while. But we don't put ourselves in a place to hear from God. All right? And, and hear and speak to us. Do we have time set aside in our day to listen to God? Devoted to posturing ourselves to hearing from him. Not listening is an exercise in interdependence. I don't need you, so I don't need to listen. You have nothing to contribute to me. That doesn't work well in the marriage. And it doesn't work well in our relationship with God. And yet that's what the southern kingdom was doing, and that's what Je Jeremiah is addressing. You're doing your own thing. You're having your parties, you're doing your thing, you're, you're worshiping the things that you want to worship, you're not hearing from me, and I'm trying to catch your attention. And if you don't listen, I have another plan that will get you to a place that you might finally listen. It's called Nebuchadnezzar. And we don't want a Nebuchadnezzar in our life. But God might allow things to happen 
to us in order to get our attention. When the people didn't listen, it brought harm upon themselves. It's interesting, the Hebrew word for listening, it's the word shama, S-H-A-M-A. And what does it mean? Shama speaks of an undivided attention and is applied to understanding. Now, my wife is probably listening right now. She's homesick, but listening right now. And she'd say, okay, let's do a little shama more around home. I want your undivided attention. Don't be looking at the TV screen and tell me I have your undivided attention. I want, you know, this. Eyes looking at me, all right? And I want you to understand. In other words, shama really is a spiritual discipline. That means we have to choose to do it. We need to work at it. Sometimes it's difficult to really pay attention and listen to the things that are going on, especially God, but even other people. Why? Because there's so many things that are grabbing our attention. We get our emails, we get our phone calls, we get our text messages. You know, we have our computers, we have our TVs, all these things clamoring for our attention. How do we exercise, discipline ourselves to take time to really listen and hear from God? That's going to take work. It's not going to naturally happen. It is a discipline, something that we have to discipline ourselves to do, right? And, and what Israel, and so often we do, we practice what we call selective listening. We listen to those we want to listen to and shut off those that we don't. And that's not a posture of really listening to what people are saying. Because of their failure to listen to the voice of God, Nebuchadnezzar was used by God to cause things to happen, to get them finally to a place where they can hear from God. But unfortunately, it took 70 years for them to hear from God. Wow. Things happen, and sometimes it takes years for us to understand. You know, it, we need to get to that place. Exile and silence from God can bring us to a place of desperation that maybe we will finally hear from God. Some kind of God allows things to happen in our life to catch our attention to really what's important. When we finally say, God, I need you. Help me in this situation. I've done every and used every other resource. I've known what to do, and it's not helping. God, you have my attention. We read about the woman at the well, or not the woman at the well, I'm sorry, the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years, spent all her money on doctors. All right, she's excluded from the community because she's bleeding and so forth, but hears of this Savior and is willing to come out in public, which she wasn't allowed to do by Jewish law because she had this issue of blood, but willing to do that for hope that maybe I can get healed from this situation. You see, certain things happen to us at times. God allows them to catch our attention because he has plans for us, and we're missing it because we're not listening to him. God allows things to happen in our lives to catch our attention. Now, maybe we're not listening and we're committing a sin, a sin of what we call commission. Right? It, it can happen. Maybe some of you in this, this room or such. And, and sometimes it happens because we read Scripture and we read it the way that we want to read it. 
Every time I read in the Old Testament about King David, who was a man of, of God's own heart, man of integrity, it says. In fact, he's not only spoken of in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, constantly referring back, would that I would have a heart after God by David. And I want to say, wait a second here. David committed adultery with one of his finest soldier's wife, right? And not only that, in order to cover it up because she was pregnant, he arranges for her, her husband eventually to be murdered because the husband had more integrity than David did. And finally, David's sin is found out by Nathan the prophet and exposed to him. David repents and then David is again held up as an example of a person that we should be like. Now, the enemy likes to take scripture like this and put it into our mind. And here's the thoughts that at times come to me. Hey, David got away with adultery and murder, and he repented, and he was okay. So, Bill, you can commit some sins as long, and maybe even up to the point of adultery and murder. Trust me, and I'm not planning either one of those, all right? But you can commit some sins, and if you repent, you can still be a man after God's own heart. Now, don't walk out of here and say, that's the message for you today. That's the lie that the enemy uses because the enemy will take Scripture and twist it and get us to fall into sin because we twist what God's intent is. Can we repent of our sin and be washed clean? Yes, no question. But there's a danger when we follow thoughts like that. That if I commit, continue to commit a sin, I can all of a sudden start to become immune and hardened to the things of God and maybe not repent. Nobody ever plans to be an alcoholic. Hey, what's your goal in life? I, I don't have any students at Southeastern say, man, I want to be an alcoholic. I, I, I want to be caught up in drugs. Nobody plans that. But it happens. Because we become hardened and think, I can control this. I've got it under control. God will forgive me. I'll repent someday. And we fall into that sin. And we don't listen to God anymore. Then there's the sin of omission. What does that mean? The sin that we simply didn't do what was right to do. All right? This is what, what James 4.17 says. When you know what is good to do and don't do it, it's sin. You mean God has this either way. It's sin. Now, if you don't believe what James is saying there, you go to Matthew 25 and look at the last parable in Matthew 25. It's the parable of the king coming into his kingdom and separating the sheep from the goats. Sheep are those that are going to heaven. And he tells him, he said, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was sick, you came and visited me. When I was in prison, you came to see me. When, when I was a stranger, you took me in. And they're saying, what did we do this to you? And what did he say? As much as I did it to the, you did it to the least of these, your brothers and your sisters, you did it unto me. But then the goats come in. And he said, you know, I was hungry, and you didn't do anything. I was thirsty. You didn't give me anything to drink. I was sick. You didn't visit me. I was in prison. You didn't come see me. I was a stranger. You didn't take me in. No, there, there's no sins of commission there. There's sins of omission there. And they said, when did, when did we not do these things? As much as you didn't do this, the least of these, your brother. 
or your sister. You didn't do it to me. Go away from me into eternal darkness. I don't know about you, but that scares me too. I mean, there's times that God is telling me to do something good and I push it aside and we don't listen to him. I write it off and, oh, that's a bad thought. Or I don't have the money to do that when God tells me to give money to somebody or, or give somebody this or to say a kind word. Oh, they're a stranger. And I, oh, somebody else will do that. I come up with all sorts of excuses. And, and God will only push that button so, so many times. I tried to get you to do something. You didn't do it. Well, I'll go to somebody else. Do I listen to God even in those small things where God is, gives me a thought of something that I ought to do to an individual that's outside my normal context of who I am? And I really, I know it's not the enemy. I know it's not me because I just don't go handing money out to people. And he tells me to do something like that. That's him. And he's seen if I will respond. There's a little test in my life of seeing whether I will be obedient to that still small voice or that little nudging in my spirit or will I neglect it and just not listen to God, which is just as bad as the other. Christianity is to be an active thing that we do. We are to listen to God. God allows things to happen in our lives to catch our attention. And there's times that he speaks to us in these situations. It's interesting, in, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, if you've ever read that part of it, God speaks to seven churches, and he admonishes them. He tells them other good things, but he also tells them things that need to work on. But the end of every statement he makes to each one of the churches, he says this, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. He says that to each one of the seven churches at the end. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus, in Mark chapter 4, says this, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And then he goes on in, in verses 23 through 25, and he says this, Consider carefully what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away. Now, I, I encourage you, look at the context here. He's not talking about giving money. This is not offering that he's talking about. He's talking about hearing the things of God. We often quote this passage out of context, this idea of measuring, all right? The measure you use, it will be measured to you, and even more, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But it's not talking about money here. It's not talking about giving to the church. It's talking about listening to God's word and using it. And so Jesus is saying to the crowds back then, if you don't listen, obey what light they have received, they will never receive any more. Right? You've received a light from God. You're hearing a word today. You hear it every Sunday. What are you going to do with it? If you don't receive it, you're going to lose it. If you do receive it, and not only receive it, but put it into practice, you will get more. And you will expand. The measure will grow in that situation. So we must listen to and obey the word of God that we have received. And when we do, more will be given to us. In other words, God will use us in more tangible ways to minister to this world and to share with those around us. What are we doing? Are we listening to God, words of God? Now, 
how do we do this? Let me give you some, a couple of practical ways maybe to apply this. And it's not anything new that you haven't ever heard before. But it means spending times of quiet and solitude in his presence. Do you carve out in his day, in your day, times to listen to God? Psalm 46, verse 10 says this, Be still and know that I'm God. Do you have time in your day to actually be still from the phone, from, you know, text messages, from emails, from all those? Do you have time that you are still and you just listen to God? Israel didn't back in that day. And God had to catch their attention with 70 years of desolation. Do you read his word daily where he can speak to us? How do you listen to God? Read his word. He he has a lot of things to say in there. A lot of things to say about the will for our life and how we are to live and so forth. Do we listen to that and put it into action? Do we posture ourselves to hear God in that time when we read our Bible? God, I'm here and I'm setting a time and I'm going to read this scripture. Speak to me by your spirit. Nudge me. Give me thoughts that direct me to how I take your word and apply it because I don't want to miss it. You have, so have a plan to read through the Bible maybe in a year's time, maybe in two years' time. Also, maybe learn the way or various ways that God speaks. I have never heard the audible voice of God, but I believe that God speaks to people, and I've heard people say that he has spoken to them that way. So I don't deny it. It's in Scripture, you know? But God speaks to me in different ways. He speaks to me through thoughts that comes, nudgings that kind of, you know, you shouldn't buy this car, Bill. You already have an El Camino. You don't need another one. Nudgings like that, an uncomfortableness in the situation that I can rationalize away, but he speaks to me, different God thoughts that I have, maybe through people, you know. Uh, The president of the university is one who speaks to me, my son-in-law, Chris Owen, who has talked to me. There's wisdom in him, he speaks to me. Certainly my wife, my friends, Pastor Blackburn, Jeff Sellers, different people that have spoken to me in times and spoken into my life. Sermons, messages like this. Uh, You know, a teaching, you know, different times. Sometimes God speaks to me in the shower. Anybody, you know, God speaks to you in that time. There's no phone in there, right? And, And God has my attention. You know, maybe it's a place that you go to. Maybe it's the mountains. Maybe it's the water that you just get away and you retreat and God can speak to you in those times. It's interesting, just a few weeks ago in my role as provost, the chief academic officer, that I I had to let six faculty members know that I was not going to renew their contract. It wasn't just my decision. Usually things come up through the chairs and the deans, you know, and so forth. And and I had to let them know, and it was a day that my, my executive assistant planned, you know, for six different meetings with these faculty members. This is not the fun part of my job, you know, I don't stand there and say, you're fired. You know, it's, it's just not the fun thing. And so in that, I, I have a, a couple close friends that I said, hey, you know, I have to do this on this particular day. Would you keep me in prayer? Would you pray for me during this time? It's not something I'm looking to, and it's, certainly it's going to be uncomfortable for them, probably more so than me. But the fact that I had six of them one day, it was not something I was looking forward to. And so I went to sleep the night before praying God, Help this to be a productive time and, and, and uh, let it be a time for us to grow in spite of the pain that is going to be inflicted when I let them know that, I'm, I'm sorry, we're not going to renew your contract. I got up that morning and, and my, usually my devotion somewhere between 5 and 7 o'clock in the morning and uh, I read 
portion of scripture that takes me through reading the Bible in a year and I read a couple of devotional books and I do some other reading. But I, I came across on that day out of one devotional book this statement. Listen to it. It says, as you go through this day, trust me to provide the strength you need moment by moment. Don't waste energy wondering whether you are inadequate for today's journey. My spirit within you is more than sufficient to handle whatever this day may bring. This is the basis for your confidence and quietness. Spend time alone with me and confident trust, relying on my sufficiency, is your strength. I came out of a book called Jesus Calling by, by Sarah Young. She writes from, from God's perspective, talking to us each day in that devotional. I'm telling you, God spoke to me that day in that devotion and gave me the confidence to go through and have those meetings. And it was amazing how well those meetings work. In fact, one of the individuals said to me, he said, I feel bad for you. And I'm thinking, I just told you we're not renewing your contract. And he said, this must be a tough day for you. He's worried about me. And I'm just thinking, God, you answer prayer. God, thank you for your word this morning. And thankful that I set a time in my life to listen to you so you could speak to me in that devotional. What if I just neglected my devotions that day and didn't hear that? That word that morning gave me confidence. You see, God has plans for us, plans for us to prosper and give us hope. Plans not to harm us, but plans to help us to grow. And he wants to give them to us, but at times he can't because we're not listening. We don't take the time to listen. And so unfortunately, at times, because he loves us so, and he's reaching out to us, sometimes he'll allow certain things to happen in order for us to scream out or cry out, God, I need you, because the pain hurts so much. Why do we have to go through that? God doesn't want to work that way. But we can, he can't get us out of a prophet or a speaker or his word. He'll use other means because he loves us so and he wants to get our attention because he has plans for us to prosper. Plans not to harm us, but to give us hope. Wow. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loved me that day to give me that word to go through those six meetings with those individuals, to speak to my heart, he has plans like that for every one of us. Are we listening? Or do we need a Nebuchadnezzar to get our attention? Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll be more active in setting a time each day for him to speak to us. That's what he's saying to us. That's the word today. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to respond? Or is he going to allow things to happen that it will become so critical, we'll cry out, God, I need you now. I need you now. I'm sorry I didn't listen in the past. He doesn't want us to go through that pain. But it's because we don't listen. God, help us to listen, I pray, this day. Help us as a congregation, as a church, to know what you're calling us to do in this world that is hurting we prayed about the shooting earlier in, in Santa Fe, Texas. But that's becoming too common. 
And we have a God who is uncommon and loving. Help us to speak into the darkness. You, you tell us in Mark 4 that as we listen, as we give ears to hear, you will, you will give us the word. And as we listen to that word, you will give us more and more. You have answers for the hurts around us, but also the hurts that we experience every single day in our own lives. Let us have ears to hear and listen. Let us put ourselves in a place where we posture our attentiveness to hear from you each day. Help us to find time in our day to do it. Let us not walk out of here this morning without thinking about a time that we can say, I'm going to dedicate this 20 minutes, this half hour, to be God time. And I'm going to shut off everything from the world in that moment and get into his word and be open in my spirit. I, Lord, let that be our cry this day. If that's you, just lift your hand. I want to pray for you if that's where you are. Lord, I want that time. I want that time in my life. God, I acknowledge it by lifting my hand. I lift my hand. I see hands going up. Lord, bless them. Bless them, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. You know, we have altar workers up here, and uh, I think... There he is. Okay, got me real nervous. I think David, I didn't know if you already left for Nags Head. Uh, why don't you stand with me? And uh, David will lead us in a chorus or two. But also, it's a, it's a chorus of dismissal. I'm not going to come back. Dan's not going to come back and dismiss you. But there might be some that want to come forward. And, and maybe you've been waiting all this time. Just you know, shut up, preacher, so I can come up and get prayed for. Hey, that's fine. Now's that time. And we have people that will pray for you whether it's physical or, or, or maybe just something out of the message, we're here for you, all right? This is the body of Christ. We are the church, amen? So God bless you. Have a great day. Stay dry, all right? Have a good week, amen.